This is the world of Salesforce and Dropbox, HubSpot and Evernote, a world unthinkable without cloud software services. Most businesses and consumers use SaaS every day to get work done. Driven by the internet and ever-expanding availability of bandwidth, SaaS has come to dominate our lives in a very short span of time. But developing a defining service, often ahead of its time, getting users to engage, secure funding, protect IP, and building a truly remarkable and successful SaaS is not an easy task. SaaS Stories brings conversations with the dreamers and visionaries who dare to think ahead. How they build their SaaS, genesis, struggles, trials, tribulations, and eventually success. Welcome to SaaS Stories. Thank you for your time and for joining us in this session. I have a favor to ask. While you continue to listen to the podcast, please leave a comment or rating at iTunes or wherever else you get your podcasts from. I personally look at each comment and will give you a shout out to each of you in our following episodes. It means a lot to hear from you. Just a quick intro to Pitchlink. Time and again, when I ask sales leaders what keeps them up at night, they say, my message. Dig a bit deeper, they're all aware that every time a narrative is presented by a salesperson, it is different. The most accurate presentations are from the top-rated sales folks, but for the rest, it's all over the place. Crafted narratives can remain exactly the same while individual salesperson personalize it for individual prospects, down to the exact opening welcome introductory message, exact every time yet personalized to the individual company and its executives. Sounds impossible? Well, just ask us and we'll show you how you can do it with Pitchlink, time after time. Want to know more? Sign up for a free one-on-one session. Welcome to this new exciting episode of SaaS Stories. We speak today with Stephen Brady, founder of Revenue Growth Consultant and creator of the Founder 500 course. The other interesting thing too about uh, SaaS now beyond the 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 decreased barriers to entry. Um, it's just such a profound sort of business model, right? You you tend to have very high margins. You have low to zero cost of distribution. Same thing with scale. So it's not um, it's not impossible for a lot of interesting businesses once they can get just some sort of minimal uh, product market fit to build you know a high six figure or low seven figure revenue business um, with. Very little initial capital and and not a whole lot of scaling. Steve Brady is an experienced startup operator and entrepreneur with an expertise in revenue design. He helped Interseller.io go from 0 to 2 million and now has a new course, Founder 500 for startup founders who want control over their sales growth. Now on to this episode with Stephen Brady. Let's dive into this episode. Steve, welcome to the show. I'm delighted that after a bit of back and forth, we nailed down a time and uh, and welcome. Yeah, thanks, Amjad. I'm super excited to be here. So before we get into what I think will be a very meaty discussion today, tell our audience a bit about you and the work you have been doing. Yeah, sure. So uh, yeah, I'm Steve Brady. Uh, I, I do uh, revenue growth consulting now um, through my own venture, SXS Consulting. Uh, before that, though, I've, I've spent uh, 10 years in, in mostly individual contributor and some leadership roles in SaaS. Uh, most recently, what we'll talk most about today was my three-year journey growing Interseller from basically zero to a team of about 15 and just under 2 million. Before that, I'd worked at Square for a few years in uh, New York, some other SaaS startups before that. And I have most recently moved to Portugal. Uh, been here for almost a year um, and just really sort of loving uh, life as an expat in Europe. Wonderful, wonderful. So the biggest challenge, I think, founders, especially of SaaS companies, and boy, I mean, everybody is a SaaS founder today, right? And in, mm-hmm. and, and for good reason. I mean, I, mean I, I, I say it in a good way because that's how easy it has become to get started, right? You have an idea, you have a friend who can put together code or possibly you put together code yourself. You can literally hammer out something in a couple of weeks and get it tested. So once people get past that stage, Steve, uh, the perennial problem of business returns, which is how to sell it. 
right? Yeah. So that has been a problem since business started. How do you sell it? And it's it's no no different for for SaaS founders. What exactly is the challenge, and and what did you see when you when you were trying to move the needle at Interseller? Yeah, it's a, it's a great place to start. And I think the other interesting thing too about uh, SaaS now, beyond the, the the decreased barriers to entry, um, it's just such a profound sort of business model, right? You you tend to have very high margins. You have low to zero cost of distribution. Same thing with scale. So it's not um, it's not impossible for a lot of interesting businesses once they can get just some sort of minimal uh, product market fit to build, you know, a high six figure or low seven figure revenue business um, with very little initial capital and, and not a whole lot of scaling needs. So yeah, it's, it's a really great time to be in, in the space. Um, so yeah, get, it, it Interstellar was interesting because you had a pretty classic case of, of two technical co-founders um, and then they had gone through a sort of like Y Combinator-esque um, like incubator program in mm-hmm. New York. And once they got accepted and went through the process, they realized um, after getting a small, I think it was maybe like a 250000 uh, convertible note type investment, they realized, great. So obviously we have, we have uh, investor validation. <laughs> We have uh, some initial traction with some customers, and we know nothing about go-to-market. So, with that, you know, first raise, they, they found me, and uh, that, that's how I joined the company and kind of took on the entire customer-facing um, organizations as, as one person. Um, and, and that was that was a really uh, fun, you know, typical wear a lot of hats, try to figure everything out as you go, you know, building the airplane while you're flying it sort of um, stage. And um, I think what I learned a lot in, in giving and given the reins to sort of run the whole thing is how much, uh, how much of it is sort of mysterious to technical founders and, or what are some sort of like core skill gaps that uh, more technical product oriented people have when they're um, when they're starting a business and trying to figure out how to actually sell it, how to design a revenue system, how to design uh, you know customer success and enablement. Um, and what I what I learned most in this journey is that even though I you know, consider myself a, a pretty talented sales professional, there are a lot of systems and processes that can really be done by anybody. So long as you sort of have like the the playbook to go about it. And personally, I believe that, you know, the best person to get to the first, at least call it the first half a million in revenue really should be the founder. And that's sort of something I want to evangelize now is that uh, the, the really the best salesperson of any company when they're getting started should be the founder or one of the founders. This is interesting. So I'll just back up a little bit. What were you doing just before Interseller and what sort of made them? I mean, I can understand their urgency to find somebody who understands the space. How mm-hmm. did how, how did how did the Interseller fit happen between you and yeah. the, the, you and Interseller fit? That is. Yeah, really good. Uh, it's a good question and kind of a funny one, uh, funny story. But at the time, so this was. I think like August, yeah, it would have been August 2015. So I had been, uh, no, sorry, August 2017. I'd been at Square for um, almost like two and a half years. Hmm. And so that was a really fun journey because I joined when it was just uh, about 900 employees, pre-IPO, uh, new office in New York. So then saw just massive like hyper growth and see a company go public. So I, I, I got to do a lot of the things I wanted to do in sort of that phase. Mm. Um, and I was starting to look for the next thing and I was going through, okay, do I want to try to grow further within the company? Do I want to, uh, go into another, you know, late series B or C type of thing. And what I realized I really wanted to do was start the ground floor and really build from, you know, zero to one basically. Mm-hmm. And so as I was looking, I think it was like, a. And, you know, an angel is posting or something. I, I saw they were looking for 
you know, first account executive. And I started to play with the free trial of the product. And I think that was a really great selling point for recruiting because it gave me a chance to really dig into the product myself. And being a salesperson, I was very familiar with similar sales engagement platforms and like the the solution that they were creating. And I actually had the problem. So being that I was a customer and someone who was uh, pretty competent in using these products, it made it very easy for me to, you know, sort of articulate how I could come in and build a you know revenue system around that. Uh, and then also be confident myself that, um, you know, not just selling them that I was the right guy to do it, but selling myself that, hey, there's there's really an opportunity here to build a multi-million dollar business in a couple of years. And that would be very invaluable for my you know career growth and just sort mm-hmm. of a, another notch in the belt and experience. So that led me to apply and then, you know, went through the, the you know, typical interviewing process and rest is history. Wonderful. So, so let's double back to where we were. You came in as the first professional salesperson on board, and and your job was to get this, this this whole business which had no revenue. You needed mm-hmm. to kickstart that process. So, tell yeah. us a bit about what you what what you saw and what did you do to get them from zero to say ten thousand uh, dollars in in the first instance, because that would be the first milestone, right? So yeah, when I joined in October 2017, there was, I think, we were just a little bit under about 5,000 in MRR. And what was interesting is that was really, uh, really a very mixed bag of customers. None of them really looked the same. There was some cohort that were paying, you know, $15, $20 a month, which were like the first 25 customers or so. Most recently, they were paying more like fifty because they had done a you know a price increase right before I joined. So the first thing I did uh, was try to understand: okay, uh, what have we done successfully? What should we be focusing on? Is there a specific niche that uh, is already showing success, or if we don't have them as customers, what is maybe one or two very narrow sort of you know uh, market segments or industry verticals that we should target? Uh, where we can create very clear positioning in the marketplace and a very specific sort of solution set. So that's where that's where we got started. And then what we drilled into at first was just uh, small software sales teams. So we were thinking we would try to compete against like a sales loft or a um, you know outreach and be a not such a feature-rich solution, but we want it to be a easier to use, uh, easier pricing, um, and a more complete system where you could do your contact data plus your outreach automation and sync to, you know, like two dozen different CRMs. Um, so that was the focus. And then the first thing I asked for, which they were, I got a lot of pushback at first, was within the first quarter, I wanted to double the price from $50 per month per user to 100 And there was a lot of reluctance. And I think this is pretty common with a lot of founders, um, especially very product-led founders, is that they they either A, undervalue intrinsically sort of what the solution is bringing to the customer. Um, and then there's also, I think, this sort of misconception that if you want to do like a product-led growth type of strategy, that it needs to be uh, priced on the low end. So I wanted to challenge that and just say, look, we're getting tons of great feedback from the small customers that we do have. Let's just try doubling the price, you know, and um, if it doesn't work, we can cancel it. If it does, great, then we'll keep running with it. Hmm. So, yeah, that was that was probably the first like 90 days. We, we went to 100, had no problem. Um, that was really great. And, and all this time, what I was mostly spending the first 90 days doing was trying to figure out between like the sales and recruiting personas that we were going after, um, the only real lever that you can pull at this stage is outbound. There are, you know, certain businesses and certain segments can make more sense to do, you know, paid or like content. But early on, especially if you're bootstrapping, it's just really hard to commit that kind of capital when it's much lower cost to to do outbound. And you're going to get a lot better feedback too, because 
you won't necessarily know how paid is performing. Uh, and content is such a long tail for when the success comes that you're not going to really see if that messaging is sticking and if it's growing your you know SEO until two or three quarters, but mm. outbound. You send an email, you either get an open or a reply or you don't. And when you get the replies, you'll see, you know, is this message working? Yes or no. So that was really what I was leaning on for in the first 90 days. We just basically used the product myself. I was really more of an SDR than anything. Um, you know, I probably sent 2,000, you know, somewhere between two and 3,000 uh, different contacts were touched each of those first couple of months until I really started to narrow in, okay, you know, we're looking for somebody with this title at this type of company um, with this many in headcount and has, you know, uh, some sort of pain that looks like one, two, or three. And then that really started getting clear and dialed in around the second quarter. So like maybe like March or April in 2018, we were very clearly understanding, okay, uh, this is this is the things we search for in Sales Navigator. Hmm. When we have that list, we can uh, throw persona one into email sequence A, persona two into email sequence B, et cetera. And then I was able to take the process that I was running, keep it very, you know, very documented and easy to follow. And then what helped me accelerate the growth as a one-person team still, because I also had to do all of the onboarding, right? Mm. So when somebody comes in, we had to, or, or someone comes in for a trial, I've got to help them get that figured out. Once they convert, we have to make sure they get successful in the first 30 days to keep churn down. Um, so once I had the SDR stuff figured out, I went and hired somebody off Upwork um, after doing, uh, I don't know, probably project with 10 different people, the best one that came out. Um, and, and she was able to basically do at a, a very high level um, what most people feel they need to spend, you know, 30 to $50,000 in salary. Uh, we were able to do, you know, for $10 an hour or something. And that was a really big help because it, A, took a lot of that uh, repetitive sort of low value task off of my plate. So I could focus a lot more on demos, customer onboarding, uh, more strategic projects. And then B, it also proved that we were able to create a process that was um, simplistic and well-documented so that anybody, even somebody outside of the org, could come in, follow exactly the process to a T, and drive uh, strong results. So at this point, it's the second quarter. So your your jump from five to 10,000 happened purely based on your doubling the price. And now, pretty much, and 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 this ninety days, you have sort of experimented and figured out through your outreach program the multiple personas who are likely to respond and the pain points possibly they have. Which means that's copy for your email. That okay, if you talk about this pain point, it's likely that such and such person is going to uh, respond and so on. And you go out and hire a a, a, a hand from Upwork on an mm -hmm. hourly basis. And by end of quarter two, where does that take you? End of quarter two. So let's see. By the time we got to, um, by the time we got to the end of the first year, we were at about just just a bit shy of twenty thousand in MRR. So I would say around there, we were around 10, 10 to twelve and a half, something like that. So we we were we were growing at this pretty nice, like you know. 18 to 25, 30% clip month over month for the first year or so. Right, right. Fantastic. So so what happens next? So you, you have gone from like 5,000, this is when you joined, 180 days, you are at 20,000, and, and you have not spent any money on PPC or in any, any no. other kind of advertising at all. In fact, in the entire three years that I was at Interstellar, we didn't spend anything on paid except for, I think we ran like two or three different experiments with like a $500 budget each testing mm. Facebook. And we wanted to test LinkedIn as well, mm. because what we, we also realized sort of like in the, once we got to the uh, second year, we kind of figured out that what was really the, the easier 
the niche to focus between the sales and the recruiting niche was recruiting because what we what we discovered was the way that recruiters use LinkedIn, and this, this was something that we knew, but we got a lot more data from having more discussions, right? Over a year, you start to look and see, okay, what customers are retaining and expanding and what ones are churning, right? And uh, which ones are giving us the most support tickets, which ones have the shortest deal cycle time, and all that was pointing to a very specific type of uh, recruiter, somebody who uh, is either the owner and sole operator, or maybe they have like at most five employees. Mm-hmm. So their their budget's a little low. They're not really that tech savvy generally, but they're spending a lot of time on LinkedIn doing things like in-mail or connection requests, et cetera. So it became very easy for us to say, you know, you're already using LinkedIn, but in-mail is not working. You have no system for getting personal emails, which is why you don't email. And if you could email, you don't know how to do it in an efficient and scalable way. So that was sort of the story that we were telling. And then it became very easy to give that pitch, which you could do, you know, in email very at a high level. And then you do it in like a five minute call. And then all you really need to do at that point is demo and or give them a trial experience so that they can hit, you know, like two or three things that we identify in that discussion are really important. So, and this is something I think a lot of founders inherently want to do or understand that they can do with their product, um, but they, they, they don't, by not really lasering into a specific niche and very specific like solution-based uh, use of the product, they kind of just go all over the place and say, well, here's, look at all this amazing reporting that we have, or, oh, you can, uh, you know, you can integrate with all these different platforms. And then when they, they get in there, they're, they kind of get overwhelmed with all the different things the platform can do instead of, you know, what most SaaS companies have, have understood um, is that a power user for most platforms is only going to use like 10% of the features, right? So, if you if you operate from that level, then it helps you to, to really design like a demo and a trial and onboarding experience that focuses on what are like the core five percent features that they absolutely need to use to be successful. Let's get them to be an expert on that as soon as possible, right? So they you get the that feedback loop of this is working. I can see the metrics that are improving for me. Um, I, I, I use this every day or at least every week. So it's something that, um, is becoming ingrained in my workflow. Um, and that's really what we figured out in that first year and started to refine a lot more in the second year. Right. Let's sort of understand how the next two years went. So by the end of the first year of your engagement, where were you? So you were in 20,006 months, where were you in month 12 and how many people were you having in the team by then? Yeah, it, no, at month uh, at month twelve, we were at, at about twenty thousand, somewhere between twenty and twenty five. Hmm. Um, and at that point, we had only let's see, we hired our uh, a full time SDR in uh, I think August of two thousand eighteen, and then unfortunately had to um, had to let them go in December of two thousand eighteen. It just you know just wasn't really working out. Um, it, it actually. Uh, we were having better returns using uh, contract workers instead. I think a lot of people um, overestimate the value that bringing someone on in-house brings and underestimate the amount of time and resources it can take for training and, and management. Mm. Um, but then we brought on, uh, shortly after that, our first customer success, sort of like uh, all, all hats wearing, chat support, onboarding, uh, technical support type of person, so by the end of uh, 2018, we were one co-founder, myself, and the uh, chat support. Hmm. And then by the end of that second year, so like October 2019, we had hired uh, one, two, three more people. We'd hired our, our, our second engineer. Mm-hmm. We hired our next two salespeople. Mm-hmm. And then by October 2019, uh, this is like one of my favorite moments, uh, 
I was on a vacation with my uh, wife. It was our first uh, first wedding anniversary uh, trip. And we were in Japan and I was getting ready to go to like a dinner. And I, uh, of course, you know, not being able to completely unplug, I got a message on Slack. Um, just like a celebration that we had finally crossed the the million uh, ARR mark, which was like really my main goal that I'd, I'd set out when I actually, in fact, going back to your story about getting hired, I think one thing um, that made me stand out in my sort of uh, like 90 day plan uh, that I was presenting was that I had planned for us to get to the million dollar mark in two years, uh, which I thought was doable, but a bit ambitious perhaps. And we did it in two years and I think seven days. So that was incredible. I mean, you, in two years, you got it from like 5,000 to a million dollar, 5,000 per month, MRR, which is like 60,000 per annum to 1 million. Mm-hmm. That was incredible. Mm-hmm. And that's with like yourself, the co-founder and two more salespeople. And one sales like customer success chat support person. So it's a, it's a, it's a team of five people who delivered to 1 million in ARR. Incredible. Yeah, it was. Uh, and I think, I think a lot of that is, is a lot more replicable than, than a lot of founders realize, but, mm. um, it, it comes from being very disciplined in focusing only on, you know, one, like we, we were so narrowly focused. We only really had one persona and that persona was like really, really niche and defined. Of course, if things came inbound and there was fit, we would, you know, sell to them. But we were still driving, I think at this point, 80, 85% of the, all the net new revenue was from outbound. Um, Mm. And so when, when you have this very narrow focus, it makes a lot of things easier when it comes to execution, right? You know exactly what your demos should look like. You know all of the objections. You know all of the potential integration, IT sort of uh, security problems that might come up. And then once they uh, convert to either a, a trialer or a paid customer, you know exactly what you need to do in the first 14 days, the first month, the first three months for them to be hitting these milestones that make them feel like they're getting a lot of value with the product and that they're going to retain. If you're all over the place, it just makes it difficult to uh, to get really good. If you've got four different personas you need to sell to, it's really hard in a year or two to, to get good at all of them. Sure. I, I understand that. I completely agree. The, the, I think the biggest problem that uh, SaaS founders, new SaaS founders have is that they do not know what persona to focus on. It's time for a short break. Stay with us. After the break... Then what we did is we we had gotten uh, we, we'd worked with a new sort of data partner on the um, you know contact side where we started to get personal emails with really strong accuracy and we had been listening to our recruiting clients say like hey the number one thing that we really need that you don't have is personal emails so that we can go after these candidates uh, that aren't responding to other methods. You are listening to a business podcast network original. Podcasting is the fastest growing content marketing opportunity, which is untapped. We can help you craft your audio strategy and help leverage the wide reach and easy streaming capability that the smartphone penetration provides. It is easy, it is powerful and personal. Talk to us to find out how podcasting can help you build your brand and reach out to your targets like never before. Write to us at bpn at bizcast.in that is bpn at b-i-z-c-a-s-t dot i-n business podcast network podcasts end to end welcome back i'm shubhanjan sarkar your host for SaaS stories and founder of pitchling the buyer seller engagement platform let's dive right back into this episode from where we left it your entire process was outbound at this point correct yep mm-hmm. And and what was this process? It was did you were you buying databases or is what purely LinkedIn driven? How was it? Yeah, good question. So we were very fortunate, right, in that we we could really sort of you know dog food our own system, and um, because at, at the core, what Interstellar, uh, there's basically two components. There's a Chrome extension, and you know there's literally dozens of these, right? right? But a, a Chrome extension that went on LinkedIn and GitHub and like a couple other sites, 
could extract certain profile information and enrich it with um, phone numbers, business emails, uh, personal emails. And then you click to push all that contact information into a CRM record as well as into uh, like an email cadence. Mm-hmm. So we had, you know, a sales enablement platform, a data platform, all free because it was our own tool. So, um, yes, that definitely helps, right? Like, you know, typically that kind of budget might run you, you know, let's say two to hundred to three hundred dollars per month per seller um, mm-hmm. would be totally within the realm of um you could pay more, you could pay less, but so we didn't have to pay for any of that, but that's really all that we were doing was LinkedIn sales navigator searches with really tight Boolean sort of search strings, hmm. inner seller to get the contact, send it through the email sequences, wash, rinse, repeat. Wow. Okay. Okay, cool. So, so this was the difficult part, but in the next 12 months, you did double your revenue. Uh, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. During COVID. And, and, and that happened by doing the same thing or did the playbook change? Uh, it changed a little bit. What really ended up working to get that next million was uh, we, we also then split out into two different plans. So in the year before, we, we added halfway through our first second plan. So before it was only $100, that was everything. Then what we did is we we had gotten uh, we, we'd worked with a new sort of data partner on the um, you know contact side where we started to get personal emails with really strong accuracy and we had been listening to our recruiting clients say like hey the number one thing that we really need that you don't have is personal emails so that we can go after these candidates uh, mm. that aren't responding to other methods so then uh, that was a big help right because it was a, a, a new Easy increase in revenue with the same customer made the customer really happy because it was a new feature they needed. Then we we decided to raise that price again to two hundred, so that we had two very easy plans. You had a hundred dollar plan that was really geared towards salespeople, or if um, as we were scaling up the size of the uh, recruiting teams we were uh, reaching out to, we would now be able to sell into their business development sales teams as well as into their recruiting teams. They could use one platform um, to do both business development and candidate sort of marketing. Uh, or if they if they weren't confident or didn't feel that they needed both sides, now we had sort of like a $100 entry plan where if they had two or three salespeople, it's like, okay, great. Well, they need this. And then now we know that if this, is, that this works for them for a year or something, now we have built your trust. We already are a, you know, approved vendor. Now we can try to win the seven, eight, nine recruiters in the, the next couple, you know, quarters, year, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was really big. And then we also grew a uh, headcount by seven. Um, so we were, we were at the, this stage, I think we were six or seven people. And then we added another seven, uh, over the course of the year. So obviously that helped speed things up a bit too. Right. Right. So, so apart from the the raising of the price, was there any any other change you made in terms of your process? Yeah, no, no. There's definitely some good process changes too. So, what we decided to, what really worked for us was, uh, and this is why we uh, hired two uh, two other. Yeah, let's say we hired two other engineers in this year. So we got mm. the the total engineering team to three plus the um, you know CEO co-founder. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what we really wanted to do was to become a kind of like the way Slack and a lot of SaaS tools want to build uh, around integrations at the core, right? That a lot of the value is being able to seamlessly work with your existing uh, other tech stack. And we had quite a few already, maybe like 20, but we had a backlog of, you know, 10, 15 that mm-hmm. were uh, you know, pretty high value for our core customers plus customers that we weren't able to close yet, especially those that were going up market. So that the beyond raising the price, we we consciously started to shift our outbound focus away from what had been working really well, which was um, three to five seat teams. And then we really only focused uh, on five to 10. Mm. So this was sort of like going from an SMB to like a small mid-market, th- mm. though it 
you know, those, those classifications get really um, confusing because they're very different for everybody. But, but for yeah. us, it was really trying to double the seat count of the type of person we were going after. Right. And that required more integrations. We also did some, um, some data improvements with more phone numbers, especially mm. cell phones. Um, so I would say those were sort of the, the two major sort of uh, focus changes. And then we, we also had developed a, a new outbound structure where we were focusing on a, like a personalization at scale sort of approach. Um, and that was driven by a really amazing hire that um, I, I made on the SDR side. She came in as an account executive, but with a, like a marketing background. And then ultimately, after a couple uh, quarters, we realized, you know, your superpower is, is not necessarily in the full sort of, you know, uh, pipeline management, the seller process, but you're truly world class at demand gen and top of funnel. Mm. So we shifted her into being sort of the uh, uh, our third attempt at a, a, an SDR. And she did such a great job that she was able to fill pipeline for three other AEs on her own. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at that point, we realized sort of the same thing I did with the, the Upwork SDR. Once I realized I had a process that I could pass on to someone else, uh, we, we took Christina's process and codified it and then hired uh, another SDR who was able to start hitting the ground running. And, and around that time is, is when I left, once that, that other SDR came on board. That's, that's, that's great. One, one quick question before we move on to your current focus of working with founder-led sales teams. Uh, this integrations, were you trying to do native integration or is it like a Zapier kind of thing? These were native integrations. So so basically people didn't have to pay for using those integrations. They got it sort of inbuilt. Yeah. And for us, the big, the, what made it super valuable was uh, unlike in, in sales where there's really, obviously there's, there's quite a lot of sales CRM systems or CRMs marketed to sales and marketing teams. Um, so you only have, you know, five major players will uh, encompass 80 plus percent of the user base. In recruiting, it's a lot more convoluted. Um, mm. And there's all these sort of niche and like legacy players that nobody integrated with. So it made it very easy for us to win against mm. the, the the small competition that we did have going after this marketplace by simply saying, hey, you know, why buy another system if it won't integrate and you're still going to have to copy paste all of this, you know, top of funnel work. We're the only person who can integrate with your CRM. And, you know, that was one of those smart strategy, like product uh, focuses that our uh, CEO uh, is, is really good at that made the selling and go to market that much easier. Right. And, and was there any reason that you left? Was it that you were convinced that you needed to start something on your own or? Yeah, that's, well, there's, there, I mean, I'd say there's a confluence of probably two or three things. So at the same time, so I, my wife and I, from a you know personal lifestyle uh, change, decided to move uh, out of New York and we, we moved to Lisbon, Portugal, where we are now. Mm-hmm. And originally, now, of, of course, this is also in the context of the entire world going remote first. Sure. We had done a, a really great job building a remote first team. You know, when I left, it was 14 people and we only had uh, four of them, five of them in New York and the rest were all distributed throughout the U.S. Hmm. But the, the the founder and I, um, the, the CEO and I, we were we were both coming to an agreement that the growth, the growth rate that I uh, was looking for was maybe not the healthiest for the company, frankly. Um, and I had already accomplished the two major things that I'd really wanted to do, which was 1 million and 2 million and actually building a team. And so we both kind of came to the understanding that, you know, between, uh, you know, the five hour time zone difference, the, uh, difference in opinion on the rate of growth that, um, you know, it, it, our, our journey had ended right there. Hmm. So uh, t- just tell us at this up to this point, how much money did Interseller raise and how much was invested towards marketing and sales apart from salaries? OK, so at this point, there had still only been the 250,000 convertible note uh, right. as part of the um, 
you know, that accelerator program process. Right. Mm-hmm. No, no, no outside capital and no really outside of, you know, uh, salary expenses. We, and you know, whatever tech stack budget, yeah. et cetera, no additional budget applied to, uh, marketing. We did spend a little bit on, um, content. Where, where did I have that? Yeah. Around the, in, in the second year, maybe it was this year we start, oh yeah, we added, um, we started using an agency that was helping take a lot of the strain off of the founder for blog posts and, and helping optimize SEO, et cetera. But sure. that was, I don't know, like a couple hundred bucks a month. So nothing major. So you moved to Lisbon and you decided that you will be able to take this playbook, which you built while we are in Intercellar. Mm-hmm. And you, you believe that it's a replicable model, which can now be taught to founder led sales teams yep and what happened in in moving so i i was i was trying to figure out um you know in in a a sort of month or two after i I left interstellar what did i really want to do next Uh, did i did i want to try to be like a vp of sales or another sort of head of sales role at another hyper growth kind of company and then you know typically what you find a lot of professionals do is they do one phase and then they sort of look and see, okay, well, what is another phase of business growth that I don't have that's interesting? And I kind of thought, well, I've already been, I've worked at Series A, Series B. I've seen a company go public. I've gone from zero to like one or two. What Do I want to go to another startup and what go from 5 million to 50 or something? None of that was really that exciting. And I realized what I really enjoyed doing was kind of the the initial solution solving, right? Helping a company go from zero to one in whatever it is they're doing. Do they need to build their first outbound sales team? Do they need to figure out how to sell into a new vertical, right? That was what was really exciting. And I was fortunate enough to have a a really good friend who had been consulting for um, a company. He had to leave to start, uh, he was starting another venture uh, they needed someone to come in and build their first sort of SDR motion uh, and then eventually build a team. And so I was lucky to kind of fall into consulting within the first month after um, leaving my last role. And then that's what I've been working on since then. And I think where I'm where I'm excited to start shifting uh, my focus a bit more into is helping fa- where, I, where I realize I can add the most value and have the most interest is helping founder-led uh, founder-led sales if they don't have them or if they're reluctant to do them. And, and that's really what I'm, I'm going to focus on uh, primarily going forward. So uh, this, this engagement that you have, are you doing the same thing or is it something different? It's a little bit different. What, we're, what I'm doing there is, and this is um, it started off as a project, which was really interesting. And it was, okay, over 90 days, this is what we want to test and see if it works. Can we uh, do uh, our own outbound? Can we effectively prospect, um, you know, a message and convert to opportunities people in our space? And this is a very niche talent uh, marketplace. Mm-hmm. So they they do um, only certain JavaScript uh, languages like React and React Native. Mm-hmm. Um, and what they do is they have a marketplace of uh, developers that work remotely or want to work remotely mm-hmm. and they pair them with companies looking to hire them. So pretty competitive space, but um, they, they had been successful for four or five years with only inbound uh, and wanted to see if outbound could be a lever to pull. So I came in and acted as the SDR in the first month, kind of you know ran some testing, started to get some traction there, continued that process while starting the recruiting process to make the first SDR hire hired that person, trained, onboarded, got them up to, you know, the made sure they were hitting their milestones in the first month. And then they decided they wanted to, to hire a second uh, a lot uh, further ahead of schedule. So by the end of three months, we had uh, myself figuring it out, documenting and hiring and training and, and overseeing uh, two people. And that's what I've been doing um, on a routine basis for, you know, like a day a week, basically, just checking in on that and sort of overseeing the outbound machine. Okay, and and how is the revenue uh, bid? So is the sales now being done by the by the founder or this is a different story altogether and not really what you intend to yeah. do now? 
Yeah, it, more of the latter. So this is okay. This is a, a sales process led by uh, the two two account executives, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I yeah, what I've realized in working with this is my more of the value that I can sort of unlock for um, entrepreneurs is going to be in helping a founder a get get their revenue faster, b get it done in a pretty predictable way that has, you know, the ability to be repeated and scaled. Hmm. And I think C, which is maybe the most important uh, piece of it, avoid making uh, the wrong hire or even the right hire too early. Hmm. And, you know, especially if you're bootstrap, right? Like deploying, uh, you know, if you're, say you're at 10,000 MRR or less, hiring somebody who's going to cost you four or five, six thousand dollars a month, um, is really scary. Like that's a very big capital outlay. And at this stage, it's really hard to know when you're doing this with a salesperson that you're going to get it right unless you've gotten a decent foundation of it already figured out and proven by the founder. I totally agree. I totally agree. So so are you into any of these engagements currently or uh, how do you see your, for the lack of a better word, a playbook or the formula that you think you have which is the reputable stuff, how is that working in a non-interseller space? Yeah, that's a a really good question. I I have not landed anybody just yet. Really, this this is really great timing, this conversation too, because it's really sort of crystallized for me within the last maybe month or two uh, of like, okay, you know, uh, in consulting, it's really fun in a lot of ways because you're you're basically just a problem solver within a certain sort of you know general area. But I I realized very immediately that it would be hard for me to build um, build the type of business that I want to own, um, being a generalist. So I wanted to to immediately realize you know what am I uniquely skilled at and where is there demand in the market for a solution that there isn't a lot of um, delivery for? Um, so, so that shift has happened. And now the conversations I'm having, there's actually, um, I've got two potential clients where one, I would come on and sort of do the same type of project uh, as the, the SDR one, but come in and do the selling for them while teaching the co-founder alongside of me. Like they, they've got a ton of inbound and they, they need to get it closed better than they are. So it'd be, you know, do that and then also sort of build the process and train them on how to backfill for me when I leave. Sure. Um, and I, I'm also really interested in building, I'm kind of in the very beginning ideation phase of like um, some sort of digital content or maybe even like, a, you know, a six week course where I can get very immersive with founders and, and teach them all the fundamentals of uh, revenue design, right? From how to think about product market fit from a, a customer retention uh, perspective, how to do your niching, how to do the prospecting, demo, close, onboard. Those, those sort of six areas sure, are, are got key. Um, yeah. And, and what kind of timeline do you see yourself uh, coming out with this? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. I think what I'm, tra- I'm trying to push myself to get it sorted within the next like two to four weeks. I want to get um, I want to get a cohort of probably no more than 10, um, 10 founders that would um, you know, give me a ton of feedback on the material and, you know, what is or isn't working, what to cut, what I should add maybe more to. Um, and I would, I would like to, I mean, what are we, we're in mid-August, I was uh, pushing myself to try to get that first cohort in maybe like mid-September at the end of the month um, and, you know, just get 10, 15 people, go through it, see what works. And then from there, build either something that's like uh, more self-serve where maybe it's like recorded content that people can engage with and or another live um, sort of engagement, depending on what the what the perceived value is from this first sort of test cohort. I I can say this much that I also completely believe that the first half a million of uh, revenue should be brought in by the founder because that commitment is very critical and that can actually set you free from the necessity to raise a lot of money because most SaaS businesses don't need to raise a lot of money. You can, Mm -hmm. you can be a 
2 million dollar ARR company making 1 million dollar in net profit uh, it, it's very yeah. very easy it's it's very easy and that's a lot of money if you're making 1 million dollar every year it's a lot of money yeah. right so and it's not so difficult to get there provided you can sort of figure it out of course of course i mean it's not that everybody's going mm-hmm. to get there they're not uh, you figure out the niche i mean obviously in your interstellar story lot of things fell into place i mean you're discovering the recruitment niche you're discovering which size it works and then the ability to up that size and double your price i mean there's a there are multiple things which really worked out 100%. and uh, right so obviously it's that part is not repeatable because you don't know having said that if you can get the revenue piece fixed the survival is not 10% of investments but yeah. 90% of the investment so so you can literally flip it so that that's what excites me about what you are doing and i think it's it's very timely and uh, i think uh, whenever you are ready we could sort of help you connect with founders who would like to come in and give you feedback and try it out right that that would be yeah that'd be fantastic yeah that that would i mean at this stage you know i'm what i'm really looking for at the beginning right is it's really not revenue focused from my side this would be like uh, you know, much discounted to what i would ultimately go to market for but i yeah i need the feedback and the the understanding that this is what people want and how to deliver it right right sas stories is brought to you by pitchlink the buyer seller engagement platform pitchlink enables high quality interactions between buyers and sellers through presentation and discussion modules Sellers create personalized sales presentations and reach out to prospects through a non-intrusive buyer-qualified engagement. Pitchlink requires no installation or download and holds the entire repository of sales collaterals and buyer-seller conversation. Talk to us to know more about how you can engage with customers without intrusion. Call us on 9902163132. That is 9902163132. Well Steve this has been a great chat and thank you very much for uh, for a very long discussion and yeah. <laughs> uh, so it's it's wonderful and thank you very much for coming and sharing and uh, we will uh, circle back soon Yeah thanks uh, thanks so much Anjan I'm looking forward to the next chat We have a powerful lineup over the next couple of episodes with great conversations including Marcus Rench founder Remarkable Lazare Rosalyn co-founder and CEO of Spoke and many more Subscribe in your favorite podcast app so you do not miss a single episode. Thanks for listening. Thank you for being with us today and listening to this episode of SaaS Stories. This is where I speak with the dreamers and visionaries who dare to think ahead and build world-class SaaS products. We hope this conversation helped you with the insights that you can go and apply right now to your own SaaS journey. We hope to have you here with us again in the next episode of SaaS Stories. SaaS Stories is brought to you by Pitchlink, the buyer seller engagement platform and is a Bizcast original production. Thank you.